Hi, we'd like to welcome uh, our guest this week is Josh Lipsmeyer. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Josh is a former colleague of mine, good friend, and current software engineer and data scientist um, at a contractor for the Department of Defense. And Josh has a really interesting background that I wanted to bring you on the show, or I guess the podcast as we're calling it, to talk about your background, your trajectory into the world of data science, and what you see as essentials in the data science toolkit, including fun things you do on the side and you know all the nerdy things that make Josh, Josh. Mm, okay. So first of all, can you give us just a very, I know, um, especially within Washington, D.C., it's um, important to keep confidentiality um, with where we work. Can you give us a broad stroke of kind of what you do on day to day? Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, like you said, my official title is software engineer, data scientist. So, a good portion of my day is spent um, doing uh, data science type projects, but I do also do a lot of uh, software development, um, prototyping of uh, new. Um, algorithms or uh, processes that we use. So, yeah, that's day to day. So, how did you get into the world of data science? I know when, when instead of answering the question for you, I'll give you a little intro. Uh, Josh and I worked together for um, another government contractor firm that was a studies and analysis institute, um, particularly for the uh, Department of Homeland Security and Department of Defense. And we worked on some really cool projects together uh, using uh, geographical information systems, GIS. Uh, Josh uh, explored and experimented in the world of Python in ways that I didn't even understand at the time. Um, so give us a trajectory of how you how you got into this, uh, what your educational background is, and uh, really how you learned the toolkit. Yeah, um, so it's that's kind of an, inter an interesting story. Um, it was not my intended field. Um, data science was uh, not anywhere close to my trajectory when I was going through school. Um, I got my undergrad at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock in math and physics. And then uh, I went to graduate school at the University of Tennessee where I studied um, geometric analysis and general relativity. So, uh, again, that was a very pure discipline compared. Right. And you don't hear many Arkansas boys going into yeah. the field. Yeah, if you can't understand my words because they're kind of drawing out, it's because I was born and raised in Arkansas. So, if, there you go. If you can't see, Josh's wife is actually on the other side of the room. Um, very, very talented photographer deep into, I don't know what she's doing right now, but it's some kind of visual editing. Um, she's it, laughing at it. Yeah, more, it's a pretty solid smirk across her face that's consistently there so <laughs> so if also we are um trying to keep our voices low because josh is one and a half now one and a half year old i am one and a half <laughs> it's the bourbon it's already good to you <laughs> um yeah he's uh 14 months actually just uh just turned four josh's 14 month year old is sleeping in the other room so we're trying to keep it down a little bit all right, so bring us back to learning uh, pure math days. Yeah, so um, so like I said, graduate school was uh, uh, very uh, pure mathematics. Um, 
and and it's funny because if you would have asked me in grad school if I was going to end up a data scientist, I would have laughed in your face because that was way too applied math. And there's you know there's the the great feud between pure and applied mathematics, and and uh, and I was definitely on the pure track. But um, fast forward, I graduate with my master's um, and get a gig at and uh, at the analytics. Uh, Analytic services, yeah. We, yeah. if you from the previous podcast, we interviewed uh, Nick Kalfa. We had worked at Answer, uh, short for Analytic Services, for quite some time um, before moving to before he moved to Booz Allen, Hamilton. I moved over to uh, uh, the current company over at where I am. So we all kind of uh, hodgepodge together and uh, cut our teeth on some of those analytics. Yeah. Um, so you know, when I started there, my my goal was to try to develop a skill set that could be applied uh, in the um, in the industry that I was in which was studies and analysis for uh, government uh, customers so I landed on data science uh, data science so I learned some Python and 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 tried to um, convert the skills that I'd gained in in graduate school and undergrad over to something that was um, more uh, data science, data-driven, um, applied math, if you will. So um, I spent uh, my two years while I was there was uh, constantly developing those skills. So it was, again, it wasn't, it wasn't by um, necessarily by um, choice um, to begin with, but uh, I fell in love with it. I think it's uh I think sometimes you don't know what you want to do until you stumble across it, and uh, that's what I did. So um, fast forward, and now I'm a data scientist, and here we are. I remember when we first started working there, um, you were you were a uh, um, sorry, I'm completely completely blanking on this MATLAB guy. Uh, yeah, I did some some MATLAB, and then some other like uh, other math software. Uh, but you both. Both you and Nick Kalfa were solidly MATLAB background. I remember both of you. Nick kind of took the R track, and you took the Python track at that point. Yeah. And those and those programming those those rudimentary programming skills that I had, I hadn't used or touched since undergrad because, like I said, in graduate school I was pure math, and you don't need to program to do pure math. You just need a chalkboard, right. a piece of chalk. I remember you tell us stories about the days when you were a teaching assistant. Can you explain how? You, that helped your ability to work with clients today? Yeah. Um, so teaching was awesome. Um, I was a, a graduate teaching assistant for three years um, when I was in grad, uh, grad school and taught um, multiple classes every semester. And it was one of my favorite things to do. Um, and all of the classes that I, I taught were um, like freshman, sophomore level classes was this at the undergraduate level? At the undergraduate level, that's correct, yeah. And all of the classes that I, I taught were for um, more qualitative disciplines. Um, so, you know, normally when you um, you, you have your, your BS or BA that you have a, a math requirement that's um, that has to be fulfilled to graduate. And non-quantitative uh, disciplines had the option of taking this um, math class that fulfilled the requirement that's normally fulfilled by college algebra. 
So would you get people, say, from the humanities, social sciences? Most of, yes. Uh, actually, social science was um, required a little more quantitative skills, so they ended up taking college algebra, mostly. More of the statistics side of things. Yeah. So actually, what I got was mostly art majors. <laughs> so if you can imagine teaching, you know, uh, math a course to a bunch of art majors, uh, you've just stumbled across my teaching experience. If you can't notice in the background, Josh's wife raised her hands when she heard that. Yeah, she's the artistic type, and I'm the quant type, so we get along well. <laughs> so yeah, it was great, um, and and I really enjoyed it because uh, one thing that you could do with um, an uh, with uh, students that were more art focused or, or geared in that direction was rely on their intuition. And, you know, if engineers have, um, and, and other quant types have this, you know, there's this thing that stops them from always thinking intuitively. Um, and it's a, a curse of being a quant, right? You just want to understand, you know, A leads to B leads to C, but math people I mean, sorry, art people have a, a different way of thinking about things. And so I enjoyed teaching from that perspective. Mm -hmm. um, Would you say that it's helped you today um, in describing to clients solutions to problems that you're doing? Because a lot of times the clients won't be from a qual quantitative field. They'll be policymakers. They'll be stakeholders in the realms of policy-related decisions. But a lot of times policy-related decisions we have an incredible amount of modeling, mathematics, data science type skills on the back. Do you feel that having to teach students or, you know, art students, for lack of a better word, help prepare you for the role you're in today? Sure, uh, absolutely. Um, like you said, uh, m most of the clients that you interface with aren't going to have uh, advanced degrees in mathematics and statistics. Um, so being able to describe things on more of an intuitive level um, I remember one of the things I always tried to do in teaching was um, if I was teaching an abstract or, you know, kind of theoretical idea that was hard to grasp, I would use real-world analogies, right, and, and connect it to something that they could get their hands on. And so if I'm interfacing with a, a client um, or even coworkers that may not grasp the intricacies of some, you know, algorithm that I'm running, right? You want to you want to lay it out in a way that they can grab a hold of. It's usually connecting it with something that they're familiar with and something from their own background. So the ability to kind of get outside of your own thinking or your own way of doing things and 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 presenting things in a way that um, someone without your background can grasp is is very important no matter what discipline you're in right so so i remember when we used to work together whenever you had free time i'd come by um, your corner of the office and i'd always see your boards filled up with um, be it network analytics uh what you would this was years ago you'd refer to uh, as neural networks which as now we hear are more more mainstream and buzzword but as an example, how would you explain something as complex as neural networks to somebody who had never even heard of machine learning in the first place? Well, uh, I think um, the best way to describe neural nets is it's really a model of how your brain functions. Um, your neurons are connected by 
um, in different ways, and they and they process information in, in, in different ways. And um, it's really, you know, what's interesting about neural nets is, you know, it's a it's a it, you're right, it's a buzzword, right? Everyone's talking about neural nets, but uh, neural nets are not a new idea. They've been around for decades. Um, only recently we've been able to um, use them in productive ways because of increases in, you know, computer uh, in, in computation um, resources and availability of data. Um, but uh, but they're, they're really, um, again, it's, uh, they're just uh, modeled after uh, the way the brain works. Um, so the way we get a lot of ideas, right? We look at how things are created in nature and then model things after them. So um, mathematically speaking, it's uh, even more simple, right? It's a composition of functions, and you optimize them, um, which is something that a first-year calculus student could, could do. Um, but, yeah, that's... Uh, that's, that's I mean, we can go into to more detail. But. No, no, I think, you know, I think I'm going to stop you there and... Uh, that's that's exactly the answer that I was hoping you would explain, as if um, somebody had never heard of anything related to it at all. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another thing about neural nets, though, that might be useful, um, at least the way I think about them, is um, you know they're implemented in and oftentimes in black box situations, right? I feel a lot of the machine learning algorithms, kind of, a lot of textbooks throw up their hands at the end and say, well. You just need to trust us on this one. Yeah, yeah, and neural nets are, are no different. Um, you know, one thing neural nets do is they, they're a way to filter out latent features in your data. And so the real power of neural nets is that they learn, um, uh, you know, you, you input some feature vector, but it actually learns the, the um, I guess, the important features of mm-hmm. your data, the, the, the features that may not be obvious. So in terms of features, we're talking about variables, inputs to your model. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, but, you know, in this situation, you know, people don't even understand why neural nets work so well. We implement them and they work, but, you know, even from a, a theoretical perspective, we have no idea why they work so well. So I think that that's interesting. It, I always like when, uh, you know, when we, as a as a species, bump up against our our the limits of our understanding, you know, I think that that's super interesting. But I'm gonna stop you right there, and we're gonna pause real quick um, because we are going to turn off the furnace, which is above us. All right, so we're back, and um, now that the noise above us, which was heating the house. Uh, is now sufficient Literally two degrees sufficient we are sufficiently heated and sufficiently um report of the elijah craig was that the bourbon it is elijah craig i feel like every time i come over to your house there's a different type of bourbon i feel like i'm so well educated when i leave also a little a little loosey but um it also helped that I, you know we used to live two blocks away from each other so that you could just walk home much much easier um, so I need to limit myself these days since it's a 30-minute drive. Well, I'll get out the bourbon that has the, the less proof. That... <laughs> we'll, we'll step down from 100 to something like 90. You'll step down to a Miller 64? <laughs> no, that will not ever be found that in my house. 
So um, we, Josh and I had about 20 minutes to talk um, during the break, and you said a couple of things that are really interesting that I want to circle back to. The first one was in regards to, I was talking about a book that I had just started, and it was called, I believe it's called The Master Algorithm, and it's created by somebody who was a pioneer in machine learning and talks about really the five disciplines within machine learning. You know, you have the, the Bayesian thinkers, you have um, the pure mathematical thinkers, and so forth. I'm not going to quote the book because I'm literally 20 pages in and have no idea what he's talking about at this point, and I don't think I'd do it justice. But you are talking about in to learn within the machine learning world, it's a lot of blogs and tutorials. It is, right. So um, I had a, a recent experience where um, I was thinking really hard about cross-validation, right? So that's a... a w- w- which we all do on a Saturday night. We, we all do on a Saturday... Or a Friday night. <laughs> so I was, I was thinking about cross-validation, and, and, you know, I've implemented it several times in my Python script, just like everyone has, I pick my favorite K, you know, whether it be two or five or whatever, and then run the algorithm. And then I get some results and I'm like, oh, this model's pretty good. But then I was thinking about, um, you know, where and when are the best times to implement cross-validation? What are its limits? And a lot of the basic questions that I really should have asked myself a long time ago. Um, But you know, when I was getting into machine learning and, and, and data science and you, you Google whatever, you know, like introdu- introduction to data science and, and you, oh, this cross-validation thing. And, it, and, 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 it's, and, and the common thing with if you're, if you're just getting into data science, you get, you get two flavors of things when you, when you Google something. You get one is the, the documentation. Uh, the, yeah, the documentation. Um, the first thing is, is you get um, some quote unquote data science scientist um, explaining from on high a basic concept that, you know, um, uh, like something like cross validation, like this is what cross validation is. Uh, the other flavor of thing you run into is how to implement something like cross validation in your favorite tool, whether it be Python or R or, you know, whatever. Um, but um, something that tells you things like when it's best to use it, how you pick your K, um, what are its limits, um, when, is a, when do you not use cross-validation, things that you would uh, kind of want to know if you're implementing it in practice. Uh, you, you don't find a lot of that, a lot of that. You find, you find the, the short tutorial on what cross validation is, and then you find the, how, this is how you implement cross validation. So there's a gap in my opinion, um, for people that are just starting out in data science that you'll get a, a, a ton of information about, um, basic definitions and basic implementations. Um, but as far as um, how to use something in practice is um, scarcely available, or at least not as available as the other things. So you have to sort of sort through things in order to, to get to the meat of um, how to use some of these concepts or tools in, in, an, effective, in an effective way. 
So how do you go about learning to apply these tools into real-world situations? Well, um, I'll let you know when I find that out. <laughs> no, uh, I, I think I think for me, um, in my current in my current position, I have I'm fortunate enough to work with some people that have been working in the field of data science and machine learning for a long time, and picking their brain about you know. Uh, case studies or, you know, basic tips, I think that's extremely helpful. So I guess my suggestion would be find someone who's been doing um, this sort of thing in practice for a while, and not only doing it for a while, but has also had success in doing it for a while. So I think that's extremely important, because I think that's where you're going to find the the nuggets of information that you, that, that are, uh, really beneficial to building your career or, or your your resources. And over the break, we talked a little about the different um, backgrounds of successful data scientists. We talked about having applied mathematicians, uh, like uh, we're talking about Nick Kalfa, our former colleague who was on our first podcast, um, yourself from a pure mathematical perspective, uh, myself from a policy and statistics point of view. And I remember we were just discussing, I said, uh, I think I said something to, you were talking about my political polling days when I was a methodologist in a political analytics wing, um, helping advise campaigns on um, making predictive models of voter behavior. And you you did, had a great analogy of how uh, machine learning algorithms are very similar to just sampling on a larger scale. Uh, yeah. So, um you know, uh, well, I'll say this first. Um, machine learning and data science it requires some some basic some basic skills. You, you need some programming language to to do this kind of work. You need some um, some statistics, some probability, some you know calculus or some some math stuff. And you need uh, a little bit of domain expertise, depending on your application, um, that you'll you'll have to you pick up as you go. But um, data science is a broad, sweeping uh, discipline that touches so many different things. And to expect someone to be good in all of those things is probably not very realistic. So, so you're saying you can't be a Charizard on a Pokemon card for everything, right? I don't know what the hell that means. My brother used to play Pokemon. He said, like, Charizard was the best card. Had all the power. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, you, yeah you can't do that. Full disclosure, I'm not associating with Pokemon. Um, <laughs> this is not an endorsement of can Pokemon. I, can I, that <laughs> I don't know what a Charizard is. Uh Oh, forever in my mind, that will be scarred. That my, my reputation is now sullied. Um, no, not now. <laughs> um, but but anyways, it's it, it's unreasonable to expect someone to be to be uh, proficient, not proficient, to be an expert, uh, 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 to have expertise in all of these disciplines. The thing is, is that um, if you're getting into data science, the key is is to connect. Um, the things being talked about in data science to your own background because your own background is going to be a, a differentiator. It's going to give you an edge. It's going to, you know, all of those things. But, but if you can connect data science to your own background, 
um, then you can have a channel that allows you to bring your own expertise into the field. So I'm glad you brought up the subject of expertise because a lot of times we hear about the T model of data science. And for those that aren't familiar with the T model, um, the first time I saw it was in a book called Analyzing the Analyzers. And um, I'm, I can't quote who the authors were right now, but in the show notes, I will write it up. And they talked about a T. So the vertical itself is what you are known for. Um, it's what your core competency is. It's what people on a team go to you first. The horizontal are the various segments of things you can do, but you're not necessarily known throughout a firm of being the go-to guy. So maybe it's querying data, maybe it's wrangling and munging data, maybe it's the elements of data visualization, but your core could be, say, um, econometrics or various types of statistical analysis, sampling methodologies, um, peer mathematics, applied mathematics. What would you say your vertical in your T is at the current moment? Um, my core competencies are, I mean, it's, it's obviously going to be mathematics. Um, and probably if I had to divide math um, or divide my math expertise into two sections, there would be like a probability and statistics side and then a, an other side. My other side is probably, uh, probably my go-to thing. So things like, um, things like geometry, things like, uh, I guess you bring it down a little bit, and, 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 and algorithm development and that sort of thing. Um, you know, graduate school in pure mathematics is all about logic. Right. So getting, you know, if I'm if I'm implementing a new algorithm, um, I rely on, uh, you know, what I what I trained myself to do, what I was trained to do in, in graduate school, which was follow very precise logic. And so um, that's probably my core competency. Um, my horizontal at the moment, um, I would actually have to toss statistics and probability into my horizontal at the moment, um, just because that's not my background. I wasn't trained in statistics or probability, but it's something that I've been developing for the last couple of years um, on the side and, and, and in practice. Um, my programming um, and uh, DevOps sort of uh, uh, skills are, are coming along. I'm, you know, pretty proficient in Python. I've um, started uh, doing some Java. Um, recently looking at uh, distributed computation uh, using PySpark. Uh, so dealing with much larger data sets. Yeah, yeah, larger data sets and the ability to, uh, to process those data sets across multiple clusters and, and, and sort of the hacking skills. What one would call MapReduce, correct? Uh, MapReduce would, uh, yeah, that's, that's one uh, method. Um, uh, yeah, it's on my horizontal, right? So I don't know. We won't get into we don't the get, we, parallel processing. Yeah, if I say something and it's wrong, I'm going to regret it later. So I'll just keep my mouth shut and, and, and go for it. So that brings me to my next question is, if there's an area where you feel you need to learn, um, and specifically the image of when we used to work together, I remember you were always an early gym workout guy. I, still I, am. Still am. I used to think that I was early. I think I got there at 7 o'clock. Um, and you would just be finishing up on the, um, I'm afraid to say, but the elliptical. Oh, yeah. But and you would just be going insane on this elliptical, like generating the power for an entire building. Oh yeah, uh, that's the best thing to do when you first get there. Do the elliptical, and then when you're done, cool down with the elliptical, and then throw some free weights in the middle, and you're. So I'd always see you at the end. So I thought you're just an elliptical guy. So I was like, how does this guy keep I'm the elliptical for three hours by the time you got that's there? Insane. All right now. <laughs> An Olympic sport, truly. Right, right. 
But every time I'd look over at you, you not only did you, it's not like you had a TV show going or anything. You had a very, very pure mathematical journal article, not even a book, journal article prints out, and it was all hieroglyphics. Um, it was literally, there were no English letters on the entire article. That's right. Is that how you stay up to date? Would you say you're more of an academic um, researcher versus, say, a blog follower? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's in, in all reality, it's rare that I read a lot of blogs. Um, if, if I'm researching something specific, I may, I may look at a blog or two. But as far as keeping up to date with, um, with the field, uh, I, uh, when I start my uh, computer in the morning, I, it brings up archive, right, which is just uh, all of the you know, pre, um, uh, pre-journal entry research articles and you know, mathematics, uh, physics as well statistics and uh, computer science. And so I, I read read a lot of journal articles, actually. Yeah. So that's kind of like when, when an artist drops a new album or a new mixtape, you're... I'm right there. You're right there, but insert journal article for mixtape. Yes, exactly, exactly. Well stated. It's, uh, you, know, I, you know, I spent three years in pure math. Right. And my... You were deep down the rabbit hole. Deep, deep, deep down the rabbit hole, yeah. That was, you know, in, in graduate school, my, my initial plan was is I wanted to go into academia. So, yeah, so uh, that's, that's what I did. And then, you know, after I got into the real world and, got, and I still maintained that sort of thinking. And the reason is is because I found that... Um, Thinking more theoretical or more abstract allows you to apply solutions to many different problems versus finding the solution to a single problem. Mm -hmm. And so that's... And that kind of goes back to our talking about how data scientists come from different fields and bring different competencies. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so back to education. Um, One of my last questions is, if you were to go back in time, you're 18 years old, You know you want to be. Have to go back? <laughs> you know you want to be a data scientist. Um, how do you develop your education from just graduating high school to getting your first job as a data scientist? Mm. What courses do you take? What majors, minors do you specialize in? <sighs> that's a that's a tough question because, like you know, like we've been talking about, there's a, a lot of different entry points to data science, and there's a lot of disciplines that data science pulls from. And you have uh, innovation from each of those entry points. Uh, so, I guess, are we talking about developing my own curriculum? If yeah, if if you had to, Josh Lipsmeyer's, you know, bachelor's of science in data science, what would it look like? It would be a rigorous dual degree in mathematics and computer science. Dear God, I thought you would say that. Yes. Um, of course, I'm a little biased, right? And um, I've said this before oftentimes that statistics is not mathematics. You cut me deep, Josh. Uh, but, but in the same sense that physics is not mathematics, right? It's its own, it's its own discipline. Right. Um, so I would have to balance out the dual degree with a triple degree <laughs> of math statistics. This is starting to sound like the old Soviet Union double PhD programs. There's something about the Russians, right? They they make it they make it romantic. 
they make pain and misery sound romantic. So, uh, yeah. But um, but it's it's hard to narrow down a, a set of courses. But um, I really, you know, if you're going to do big data, you need to know how to handle big data. So that's when the computer science uh, kicks in, right? You need to know how networks uh, function. You need to know programming. You need to know, um, you know, at least at a superficial level, how to distribute uh processes across multiple mm -hmm. clusters and 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 you know arrange uh computational efficiency and um you know if you're gonna use machine learning in your data science you can't get away from the fact that uh data science uh algorithms are at their core mathematics right if you can't see it as a uh, josh's wife is pointing that it's time to wake up his son from the nap. So we're going to slowly wrap it up right now. Um, Josh, if somebody wants to get a hold of you and talk to you about all the great things you've talked about today, or potentially they want to also be an elliptical um, master such as yourself, how do they get in contact with you? First of all, I would commend your ambition. And second of all, you can reach me on uh, LinkedIn. Um, it's probably the easiest way to get, uh, get in touch with me. And we will we will include those in the notes along with a couple questions on what you believe your data science toolkit currently is, the tools you use, the resources you use, and uh, what you expect for the future. Josh? Yeah, thank you.